0: Welcome to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Wright, attorney, author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. This is episode 15. And today we have with us Chuck Bujoli with Guaranteed Rate. He is a loan officer specializes in divorces and post-divorce mortgage issues. Chuck, welcome and thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I know you're busy. The real estate market has just been jumping for so long, but I appreciate you coming on. Why don't we start by telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to sort of niche down into divorce lending?
1: Sure. So my background actually starts kind of in the investment banking world after I graduated college uh, many moons ago. I kind of had a career on Wall Street, basically selling and trading interest rate and credit products. So I did that for about 25 years. And then I kind of pivoted right around COVID. And I was looking with what my background was and how I could kind of transfer into something new. And that's when I said I have a, kind of an expertise in uh, understanding interest rates that, uh, this kind of piqued my interest. So, uh, I went through, got the licensing, became a loan officer. And as I did that, I went through a divorce years ago and this side of the, the business, uh, kind of also piqued my interest. So I kind of carved out this niche and, uh, it's becoming very popular here on this rising interest rate environment.
0: Awesome. So briefly explain sort of in a nutshell what a certified divorce lending professional does. That's your credential, right? A CDLP?
1: Correct. Uh, the CDLP, I basically help divorcing individuals understand their mortgage options and evaluate the feasibility of keeping the marital home going through a divorce. Uh, and if you can't, then we look at other options about how you'll be able to borrow money to possibly you know, enter into a mortgage for a new home.
0: Okay and why in your experience is it so important for people to keep the marital home why is it such a crucial consideration
1: you know the, the two most uh, important considerations i've seen from people are actually a little on the emotional side it's usually they have children they want to keep them in the school district they don't want to disrupt them while they're going through this you know you know tough time in their lives mm-hmm. that's kind of how i felt i went through a divorce years ago yep. and the other one is I find people that, oh, this was my mother's home. It was handed down to me or my father's home or one of the parties has some sort of attachment from uh, before they got married and they're trying to keep that in the, in the family. And those are the two reasons why they first come. Kind of my job to steer and make sure you understand it also has to be a smart financial decision.
0: Right. Do you find it kind of hard to separate the people from their emotions and in the finances?
1: It's an emotional time. And I think, and I try to make this with all the parties that uh, I associate with, you have to have an empathetic component to do this. So you have to understand, yes, I understand this. Make sure you've looked at the financial ramifications. If it's still something you really feel you need to do, then it's also, I'm here to try to help you. I'll advise you, but if that's the path you decide to choose, I'll show you the numbers. But if you still want to go, you know, I'm here to help you.
0: Mm -hmm. So in your experience, what are the most common misconceptions people have about managing mortgage obligations after a divorce?
1: I think it's become more prevalent now with higher interest rates, but they don't understand the cost of keeping the home. Okay. Before managing bio, you basically have to refinance the, the amount of your current mortgage. Usually, if it's, you know, the home equity is the biggest asset, then you have to do half of your spouse's equity then you're going to have the closing costs and then you have to keep the upkeep of the home yourself. So it's, it's usually becoming a, a pretty large nut. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely be getting tougher. I mean, there's no question about it. Between the rise in costs and the rates, I mean, it's unaffordable for so many. Yeah. Uh, but when, when people are considering retaining the marital home, what are the top financial factors that they should really be considering?
1: I, I think it's pretty simple. It's like three or four of them. You have to look at your, what your future income is going to be. What your, your liabilities will be. Right. What's your credit like? And what is your credit score? And what sort of cash are you going to have on hand after the divorce?
0: Right. So, when people go down this path, I mean, they have to fill out the loan application and all of that. But how else can someone evaluate if they can afford to keep the marital home post divorce? I mean, with all of them, I mean, with so many unknowns, even when divorce goes to judgment, you know, there can still be unknowns.
1: Oh, yeah. No, 100%. What I try to do is break it down for, usually it's an individual, I get. I've had some people that have mentioned, hey, would you do mediations as well? And I can do it for both parties. But usually what happens is I'll give you a snapshot of what your life looked like as a married couple. And then say, all right, here's what your snapshot is. Here's your mortgage. Here's what your equity at your home is. Here's what you have as group grouped liabilities. And then I'll kind of say... What do you think the decree is going to come out as? And what are you going to take out of that? What are your liabilities going to be? I'll have a financial snapshot of you as a couple, and then I'll have a snapshot of what your post is going to, post life is going to look like. And then I'll try to run ratios based off that to see what your affordability will be. A, if you could keep the home or refinance it, or, or B, what your borrowing power will be for that.
0: Right, right. So what are some of the pitfalls or challenges that you've seen that people should be prepared for when they're going to be retaining the marital home. back
1: the biggest one now is everyone, it's payment shock. It's saying hey, my mortgage is $2,300 a month and to do this equity buyout, it's now $3,900 a month. And it, it's a function of uh, what's happening with interest rates. But the, and then the other part is people aren't thinking that, hey, you're now a single income entity. You're not a dual income entity. And, you know, you swing it based on that.
0: Right, yeah, the I and mean, the inflation alone is just killer. Oh uh, yeah, you know, hope' someone down a little
1: bit though. It looks like we're getting to that two and a half, three percent area. There's, the Fed wants to get us to around two percent, so hopefully rates are on the way down. Oh. Spring year,
0: fingers crossed, huh?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So let's talk about credit implications. So during divorce, credit can be in flux. What are the credit implications during divorce? That affects someone's ability to refinance or take on a new mortgage payment?
1: Well, I always tell people you, before you want to have, you want to be looking at your credit, you know, quarterly, anyways, through a credit karma type site or whatever. But as you're going through divorce, especially things get contentious, you don't know if I've seen my ex took out a credit card in our joint name. I didn't know about it. They ran it up. So you want to stay on top of that because some missteps going through the divorce process are things that can happen there. Especially yeah. if a joint credit um, can, can reflect on a party that is unaware that it happened to them. So I think you really have to stay on top of it. That's the most important part. And you don't know if the other party that you thought was paying the bill is late on the bill and that's a joint account. And that's going to reflect negatively on you as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is the range right now that people would qualify for? All things sort of what?
1: The range as far as interest rates? More. But
0: spread of rating.
1: Credit rating, I mean, I did a, if you go to an FHA loan, which has some upfront, you know, mortgage insurance and stuff like that, but you can get down to a 580. But if you're going to do Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the program's just reduced a little bit, I think 620. It's probably the starting point used to be
0: 640. Okay. All right. Well, not terrible, but, you know, it can be tough for some people who are in a bind.
1: Usually that usually comes with a higher rate though, too. You have right. To understand, right. Right. You'll get credit but it's at a cost.
0: Right. Now let's talk about assumability of the current mortgage. I hear this so much, with you know, a lot of the cases that come through, people sort of think that, oh, I can just keep that 2.75 rate from two years ago. You know, yeah. let's, what, what about the assumability of a, a mortgage? Is that doable?
1: So it, it's kind of a loaded question. It is doable under certain entities. It's becoming, so for instance, FHA loans, VA, and USDA—the ones that are government guaranteed—they yep. they have assumability to them. So okay. they've, they've always been assumable, and they're continuing to be. Okay. Uh, FHA, sorry, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It depends. What I tell people is to go back, and this is why you should always save your documents. Go to your loan estimate, and on page—excuse me—go me, to your closing disclosure, mm-hmm. and on page four is an assumption clause. And it'll be a box that says, yes, this loan is assumable or no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But the other thing about assumability is just because the loan's assumable, people think, oh, I'm just going to get this rate and I, they're going to give it to me. You have to qualify for it on your own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, people take quite for granted, I think, when a push comes to shove, you know, especially they want to get divorced so bad, you know, it's like, oh, can I just get this done? Can I just get this done? But then, of course, the marital room, it's people's biggest asset. You know, I mean, nine times out of ten, the yeah. house is the biggest asset. And that's going to be the proverbial elephant in the room.
1: Especially recently, with like you said, what inflation's done, that's had, that's had its effect on housing prices. And probably over the last five or six years, I saw people that bought houses five or six years ago and the amount of equity they have in them. It's making, making it your largest asset that you're, you're splitting. And it makes it difficult as I said, in this interest rate environment because the equity is so large so quickly
0: for people to keep it. Right. I mean, and and the other two, the housing crisis, the housing shortage makes it even tougher. You know, where you had two people under the one roof, you got a divorce. Now, someone might stay, someone has to go, or maybe they both have to go. Right? I mean, there's just so limited inventory on that real estate market.
1: And And maybe... speak to this but it sounds like in speaking to other attorneys that they're they're doing uh, divorce decrees where they're allowing couples to make it termed out over a time where people can one stays in the house and the other receives their money in a payment stream over four or five years
0: yeah yeah i mean i i have heard of that as well i did have one case like that but again you know that's assuming people can cohabitate under the same roof you know you've that got- you know maybe at parties that have a toxic relationship or there's kids in the house and it's not healthy for these two adults to be in the same space any longer. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like someone's got a break. You know, I mean, it's it's really tough. And the rents, you know, I mean, so someone, all right, so maybe they can't refinance, they can't, you know, get another property. All right, go try getting a, an apartment. You know, hugely problematic.
1: Yeah, no, rents, uh, rents have skyrocketed as well. Hmm. navigating divorce thinking of keeping the marital home click the link in the show notes to download chuck borgioli's exclusive e-guide considerations for retaining the marital home after divorce the solutions may be closer than you think get clarity now
0: now let's let's talk alimony and child support right i mean Massachusetts, the guidelines here are pretty stiff all around. That seems to be the general consensus, I think. But given inflation, is it really enough to cut the mustard to get approval in a divorce situation? What do you think, Chuck?
1: I mean, that's on a case-by-case case basis, and depending how big the numbers are. I mean, when I look at, depending, I've looked at both sides, the payer and the payee and Obviously, since the Trump tax cuts, they've taken it where alimony is no longer taxable, so yep. it doesn't work the pay 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 or as much. The, the one thing to understand, and uh, most attorneys get this, is that now that it's a non taxable income stream, they're allowed to be grossed up by twenty five percent.
0: Oh, okay, yep.
1: Right. So a, a two thousand yep. uh, dollar child support or alimony payment. Yep. Uh, is now worth $2,500 right. um, in the mortgage um, income box. Yep. But what you got to remember with uh, these payments is the, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac 636 rule, that mm-hmm. they have to be seasoned for six months after you're receiving these payments for six months, which yep. is usually the case by the time a divorce kind of clears. Mm-hmm. And that have to be able to receive those monies for at least 36 months after the mortgage application closes. So I have a, a case now where um, the one has a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old, and they're both got at the ones at emancipation age, and one uh, is three years from it, and those incomes don't count. So she'll, it just basically is not, quali- it's income for her, and she probably could, could make the payments, but it's not qualifying income on a mortgage application.
0: Right, right, right. Mm. So so that puts her out of the realm of possibility then?
1: Uh, yes. Or you, what you try to do is look for, is there other payment streams you can create that you can kind of put into that? Is there a business that someone might have that they yeah. can take a lump sum? It used to be, we, we're in the process now. I just, Fannie made just put out a new publication actually yesterday, but it used to be that instead of taking, let's say you had a, a couple hundred thousand dollars that you are going to take in the divorce, mm-hmm. take a hundred thousand in cash and take 2,500 a month over 40 months yep. to a trust. And that becomes automatic income for your mortgage qualification. But Fannie Mae just put out something that it's making it a little difficult for trust income. You have to have it seasoned, I think, for 12 months. It just came out. Of, I haven't read it. So I got to get up to date on that.
0: Right, right.
1: Was, it, was an alternative before? And then it used to be before the Trump, they used to use unallocated support where you didn't really know what it was, but right. it didn't have child support. So then you had the age of emancipation didn't matter.
0: Right, right. Mm. Well, <clears throat> But for people who are looking to refinance and that's on the horizon, what advice would you offer them to get the best terms possible?
1: I mean, you get the best terms possible. It's basically the same as they don't want to apply in for a mortgage. It's you're going to want to have the best credit score. You're going to want to have good history. Yep. You, you want to have a low debt to income ratio and you want to have a loan loan to value. People that come in with 20% down, you know, DTIs in the thirties. Uh, and you know some money in the bank that that usually is those are people that when you see an advertised rate that's the best rates banks are offering yep then is what they call llpas which are loan level price adjustments based on if you fall into different categories that are below that
0: so divorce settlements and these separation agreements do you have to read your fair share of them
1: yes yep and we're basically looking for it and we always tell attorneys, you want to have everything worded as clearly as possible. This payment will go on from starting on this date and will end okay. on this date. But yeah, the divorce decree usually is is part of your loan application,
0: right? So how do they? How do the terms generally address the division of equity? Is it usually pretty understandable, or do you have to go back to the uh, attorney and be like, I don't understand this? The
1: division of equity, division of home
0: equity, yeah.
1: Well, home equity just falls into an asset class. So when we're looking at this, we also say, what else, what other assets are there? I've mm-hmm. seen someone, uh, that's going through one now that said, if they could have all the home equity and not have to do a refi here and they could pay them out over time, they would allow the other party in lieu of, uh, support payments. Right. So it's, it's kind of like horse trading.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: So I mean, the, when you what look they it, down to. Yeah, it's totally. It's just pay, how much. Here's the. Here's all the assets you have accumulated over the life of your marriage. Wow. You're entitled to usually around half of them, and sometimes in different cases it varies. But there's there's scenarios. I see a lot of lawyers that now say, Hey, you have this one where in lieu of support you can have this. You can stay in the house and make payments over this period of time, and you have to pay interest on it. It's if you're getting what you want on one side, you're usually given giving it somewhere else, right?
0: Right. 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 So if someone can't refinance the home into their name alone, post-divorce, what are the consequences that you usually see? Are you sort of out of the equation?
1: Well, this is why I like to try to get in, you know, as soon as possible. I like to speak to people right when they decided that they're going to, to separate because the, the, that should be ascertained. You shouldn't be trying to buy the home if you can't really afford to buy the home. You yeah. want to run out in front of it, take the snapshot and say, you're not going to qualify. Even if we try to create an income stream based on the assets that are here, if I can add an additional $2,000 a month to you, you're still not going to be able to do an equity buyout here. Right. Uh, You're you're better off going off and just buying another home.
0: Right, right. It's tough, Chuck, and it seems to be getting tougher. I don't know. Yeah. How does the length of the marriage generally impact decision and considerations around the marital home?
1: Well, now I would say like for the last five years, I mean, time is is money. You've had a huge appreciation and it just means that there's going to be a larger chunk of equity. The other side of it is the length of a marriage. You know, a lot of times it means kind of increased payments to, to, one, to one person, a lot more than someone's title to. So
0: Right. And for people who are feeling emotionally attached to their home and they're just struggling with the decision to sell or retain and refinance, what is your advice to them?
1: What do you what do you say? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I said, I understand what you're going through. I I actually went through that. I wanted to keep the home I'm in and um, I wanted to keep my kids in the school system, but I didn't at a point where it made financial sense. So I, I try to put the financial so you're not, you know, house poor, you're not burdening yourself for your future financial situation. But I think you have to be empathetic to the process of what they're also trying to do for their family. I've right. looked out the financial ramifications of the future and what it's going to feel like trying to, you know, make these payments. Right. But at the end, of the day, it's that person's decision. And if they're like, "Can you get me a mortgage at a, a fifty loan to dev- fifty uh, debt to income?" Then, then that's what I'll do to them.
0: Right. So, get a mortgage broker versus a CDLT. How? Huh? Can someone like you, a certified divorce lending professional, help streamline the process for people who are in the midst of divorce and find themselves in a situation? What could you do for them versus a regular mortgage broker? Uh,
1: well, I'd say the biggest thing we have is we, we're we dealing with this every day and we have, I don't like the word expertise, but we have a a reference knowledge of what the agency guidelines are as they pertain to divorce, like the 36 rule, things like that. We're, we're constantly looking at what underwriters will do in the event of divorce. We're looking at what the agencies are going to do that will buy these. Um, so that's where our expertise lies. It's like kind of like a, almost a researchers uh, person that relates to mortgage guidelines uh, in the event of divorce.
0: Right. Now, do you have any war stories, Chuck, you can share about case studies or experiences where yeah, Retaining the marital home was the best, worst decision for a divorcee?
1: I have a a real life one away from me, which was a, a bad one, where someone wanted to keep the home so bad that they went to, they were going to do it. They couldn't qualify for the mortgage. They could qualify for a HELOC at a 85% loan to value. But as you start to get north of 75% loan to value in lending, your rates go up. You know, they were borrowing money from family. They were taking super high interest rates. And it was, at the same time, I was being told that the house needed a new roof and it needed a new door. And that was being factored into the settlement. But I'm like, okay, but when this is over, you now have to do those things and you're financially strapped based on this. Right. and. This is one case where I, I will tell you, it kind of changed how I approached my future case, but she was like, I just wanted to keep my house and that's all I want. That's all he came to you for. And I what? said, I have to be giving you the honest financial, you know, outlook here. And uh, I was wondering if there's other ways, would you rent for a year? You know, because when you sell your house too, during the divorce, you split that cost with your ex. Right. And if you're going to, you run into problems a year later, that real estate commission is a hundred percent yours.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, Positive
1: slash negative one. When I went through my divorce, we listed the house we thought it was going to sell for X. Mm. And it was years ago when the market wasn't as strong. And uh, at the price we originally thought, I was like, yeah, let's sell it. And then when it kept dropping, kept dropping. Finally, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars less. I'm like, you know what? This makes sense financially. And I ran the numbers to, to just keep the house. Mm. So I bought my X out of the house. Yep. And it's, you know, my house is up 50% from 10 years ago.
0: So yeah. So you don't regret the decision?
1: I didn't. No, I, but I, it was the smart decision to sell it at one price, and it yep. was the right decision to buy it at another.
0: Right. Yep. Absolutely. So how do rising or falling real estate markets impact decisions related to marital home post-divorce? I and mean, where do you see this truck headed long-term, Chuck?
1: Well, this kind of brings me back to my Wall Street days where I always say, you know, you you buy low and you sell high we're, we're kind of at some steep prices here. So if you're keeping your house, you really have to believe the long-term trend is up, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the supply issues might keep it neutral, which can be okay. And then maybe we see, you know, the next leg up if uh, interest rates start to correct after the fed stops, yep. you know, maybe that's kind of in sometime next year, yeah. but I, I think like after the financial crisis. Everyone was buying homes. It was a great time to invest in real estate if you could qualify for the mortgage then because right. re- the values were depressed. So that's the time your mindset should be, yes, I want to retain my home. I want to buy it if I can. Right. And here, prices are so inflated, you don't want to get in. Interest rates are so high. Yep. It might be a time that you want to step back, you rent, and there'll be another time to reenter. At least you are at lower borrowing costs.
0: Right. So, what final piece of advice would you give anyone on the fence about what to do with their marital home during a divorce?
1: I to say you want to consult with the professionals. You want people to look at it. You want the, to make sure it's the right financial decision for you. Uh, it makes sense tax wise. It makes sense for your financial future. I understand that there there's other emotional components to it, and they can factor in, but make the primary component be: is it the right financial choice?
0: Right, right. So Chuck, if someone wanted to reach out to you about, you know, using you to finance their marital home, divorce how would they get a hold of you, Chuck?
1: You can get a hold of me either. I like my cell phone is 646-831-2968. You can call or text me. My work email guaranteed rate is chuck.orgioli, B-O-R-G-I-O-L-I at rate.com.
0: Perfect. All right. And I'm going to throw your contact details down into the show notes of the episode. So if anyone needs to reach out to Chuck and see if getting the marital vault refinanced post-divorce is in the cards for you, you can reach out to him. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on to the Right Timmy Law Divorce podcast today. I really appreciate your time and it was great talking to you.
1: It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Greatly
0: appreciate- Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Remember, the information shared in our episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. Stay informed. Stay empowered. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast.